Welcome to Community Decoded, the ultimate podcast series for founders, VCs, and builders who master the art of community building. This podcast is brought to you by Threado, a community management platform that lets you drive more engagement, identify brand champions, and scale a thriving community with automated workflows and personalized messages. We're so proud to say that we serve fast-growing community-led startups like Notion, Mixpanel, Triple Whale, and more. What are you waiting for? Hit threader.com and up your community game. Now, let's talk about this podcast. Join us as we dive deep into the world of community building with some of the biggest names in the industry. Let's decode what it takes to build a thriving community. What's up, community builders? Uh, I am back with yet another episode uh, interviewing like world-class community builders. In this in this episode, I'm very excited to actually talk to uh, Joshua Zirkel, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, your last name. Uh, he's the head of global engagement marketing community at Asana. Joshua, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Thanks so much. I feel great. Hello, everyone. <laughs> awesome. So for folks who don't know about uh, about Joshua, let me give you guys like a brief intro. Joshua is a leader in community space with over 20 years of experience in leading community programs at B2C, B2B, nonprofit, you name it, he did it. Uh, he currently leads engagement marketing at Asana, where he created Asana Together, a highly scaled strategic GTM program that includes ambassadors, community-focused events, and a community forum. Uh, I can go on and on about this guy because he's done, like, if you go to his LinkedIn, this is what I did. So a couple of days ago when I confirmed Joshua as a guest, I went to his LinkedIn. I, I spent, first of all, when you hit a LinkedIn profile and you go to another tab, that itself means like they've done so much, right? Like when I hit like view more experiences, I'm like, wow. It, he kept going on and on and on and on, you know, in the community space. And I think he's one of the leaders, like I said before, and I'm excited to dive uh, deeper into the conversation. And quick note, he also previously worked for Evernote, which is one of the most loved note-taking app out there. Um, so, yeah, I do have some topics, Joshua, in my mind and some questions I've prepared for you. But right off the bat, I want to ask, What's your role at Asana? It seems like you you do a lot. Like you're you're you manage a lot of teams. You know, hire a lot of people, community managers, and as such. But if you wanna put all them together and like give a gist of what you do, would love to know and start from the start this conversation from there. Yeah, sounds great. Um, thanks for that intro. I I am very humbled that you took the time to read my extra lengthy <laughs> LinkedIn. I know it is not for the faint of heart, but. I, I've been fortunate in that I've gotten to do a lot of different things over my career. So Absolutely. thanks for that. At Asana, I'm responsible for helping cultivate the network of people that that love and use Asana. Uh, as mm. someone you mentioned yourself who uses Asana, I think you, you've known the difference that it can make in your work and in your day-to-day -day life. And so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we, as part of my, my team's mandate, we take over once people have signed up. And so mm. we're, we're responsible for helping to identify people who might make great community members who want to help their teams use Asana better, give them right. the tools and the resources they need to do that. Right. My team is responsible directly for the community building portion, but as a leader at Asana, I'm responsible for tying together pieces from other teams as well mm. that can help 
our community be more successful. So for instance, I work very closely with customer enablement and education who are re- directly responsible for creating the content that helps our customers learn how to use the software better. I work really right. closely with sales and customer success because when customers use the product, there's opportunities to help them expand and deepen their use of Asana across their entire organization. So for me, while I sit within marketing, because of the nature of how community works, it touches many different parts of the customer's life cycle and their journey. And mm. so I work with teams all across Asana to help our customers be more successful. That's awesome. And how do you keep up? Like, it seems like you work with different set of people, right? Like, how do you keep track of the direction or community is such a, such a big thing, right? And it requires a lot of intention. Since you talk to a lot of folks, folks, like you said, you know, you take over for, from people like who use the product, like you, you build product community, you build enthusiasts, ambassadors who support Asana. Uh, and how do you keep this direction going? Like, okay, steer people in the right direction without deviations or distractions. What's your, what's your secret? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's no secret other than that my work, I work for a company. So the work that I do, even though it is in service of the community members and what they need, my goals need to be aligned to what the business needs at any given time. And so whether that's gaining market share or deepening revenue or just helping people use the product more, my goals need to be aligned with those. Otherwise, like, why am I there? Why is my team doing what it's doing? And so the, the biggest secret, and I think this is one that somehow most community managers lose along the way, is what is the purpose of what I'm doing? from the mm-hmm. business's perspective. Right. As community leaders, we need to balance, here's what the community needs and what they're telling us, and here's what will help them be successful. And we need to balance that with, here's why I am here. Here is why this function exists at this company. And right. here's how it aligns to what the business is trying to achieve. And right. so for me, I've been at Asana almost six years. The business has grown and changed tremendously during that amount of time. And because of that, the things that I'm trying to drive in accordance with the rest of the business have changed as well. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if I'm sharing one secret with anyone, it's make sure that you are aligned with what the business needs at any given point in time, because mm-hmm. that's how you'll be successful. That's how you'll drive real results, not just the warm fuzzies that come along with leading community, but right. those plus actual business results. Right. And so it's very interesting uh, I I think you you're calling it purpose, and I kind of like slightly twisted, and I call it more of intention, which is the things I want to do, uh, which also aligns to the business goals, right? So that I keep track of them, and I I steer in the right direction. That's right. How do you uh, do? You have like a method that you follow to keep reminding yourself and your team about this purpose. Do you have like some sort of framework that you use? We do. So at Asana, because we use Asana, the product, all of our goals are in Asana. So we're able to very clearly look at, okay, here's what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. And here's how it ladders up to the bigger goal. And we're able to see our progress towards that goal. You don't have to use Asana to do something like this. You could write it on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard. But Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to being really clear on what your goal is and how it ladders up to the bigger company goals. And you can keep track of that any way that you want, but I think it's really important that you do. So every Mm -hmm. single month when we do our monthly reporting, 
we look at our progress towards our goals and we can see how our goals are laddering up to the bigger ones and the progress of those. For me and for my team, I think that's a very helpful marker in how are we doing, not just what's the health of our community program, that's really important because that is what enables us to achieve the result, but mm -hmm. how are we tracking towards the actual results? So we do this every single month and every quarter we do a QBR, quarterly business review. Nice. And then every half year, we also check in and readjust our plans as needed to make sure that we're continuing to move our way right. on that journey towards the goal that we've set. This That's may awesome. seem like managerial overhead, but you know, I run a pretty expansive program. And I think even if it was a program of just me, I would probably still do the same thing because I need to make sure that I'm not just spinning my wheels and doing the community activities. Those are tactics. That's not a strategy. And right. so I'm very invested in my team and I coming together on the strategy and then measuring our results along the way to make sure that we're actually achieving what we set out to. That's very interesting. And if we've been so far in eight minutes of the conversation and I keep on hearing community goals, community direction, community purpose. Uh, I know it's such a cliche question and it all depends on individual communities and individual teams, startups and companies and, you know, they're, they're different, different set of folks, but do you have a general sense of advice for community managers when they design these goals? They might be quarterly, they might be monthly or even, you know, bottled down to like weekly. So I would probably start with whoever the key executive stakeholder is that decided mm -hmm. to start a community program, they probably have some ideas for what they want the community program to achieve or do. Right. I would align with them and make sure that you're setting metrics around what they think are the reasons why the program is there is. Right. If you don't start there, you can easily spin up a bunch of community goals. You could say, I want to have 10 events over the course of the year or right. one of a thousand ambassadors. But at the end of the day, if that is misaligned with what the key executive stakeholder thinks your community should be doing, mm -hmm. you'll have failed. No matter how many events you hold or how many people you've recruited, if they think what you're there to do is to drive brand awareness and you're not tracking that in a measurable way, then so what? You've done some great community tactics, but you haven't achieved the goal. And so mm -hmm. I think it's actually really important to sit down not just with your team and set goals, but make sure that your key stakeholders, and that could be your executive sponsor, it could be people in other departments that you need to align with, make sure you have coalesced on a goal together or a set of goals, hopefully not too many, ones that are manageable, that you mm. feel like you can measurably move, that you can do something about. It also doesn't help you set goals that you can't actually do anything about. So this is the trickiest part, I think, of setting community strategy is aligning on the goals. From the mm -hmm. goals, all of the tactics and the individual things that you do, those end up becoming pretty clear. But the hardest part is making sure that you and the team, your boss, your executive leader mm -hmm. are aligned on what it is that you're trying to achieve. And this may right. be in tandem with other teams. It might be solely on your own. It really depends on the organization, the size, right. and what you're trying yep. to do. But without a goal, I don't really know what the point of community is mm. to be mm. at a business. That's interesting. And it's, I think one, one uh, interesting take we just dropped is, uh, and I always believe it, it should come from top down, right? You basically, you know, going back to intention, you start with an intention tied to a goal, which moves the needle for a business. And you kind of like, 
systemize from there and separate uh, break down into multiple small pieces so people in the team can easily digest and they actually like learn and keep reminding about the higher purpose right and that's how i think uh, communities are built and the built in a sustainable way so. uh, absolutely true. i think what is your goal like you've been at asana for 6 years and what are some asana goals uh, community fulfills and the, the reason i'm asking is that there are like quite a few of b2b audiences you know people b2b founders or community builders who who might listen to this podcast and how do you give them a sense of clarity when they're building their b2b goals uh, so what what's what's the uh, fundamental like you know uh, thought process when you set goals at asana especially from b2b standpoint That's a good question. I think it's useful to understand how much Asana has changed over the time that I've been here. When I started, right. I think there were maybe 300 people at the company. We're closer to 2000 now. Wow. Uh, we weren't public at the time that I joined. We are now. We didn't have a strong right. enterprise business focus we do now. So, right. things and this is totally normal for most right. businesses, they will change many times if you're there for any length of time, whether it's a year or two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, for me when I started, the goal put simply was just create a community program and get it off the ground so that we could do things with it later. Mm-hmm. Now the goals are much more clear like because we know based on data that when people are part of our community program their accounts are healthier, they grow more quickly, they use the product more, they retain better. I have goals that center around those particular types of metrics mm-hmm. alongside goals around generating pipeline Pipeline is not the primary goal of the community program that I lead, but it is a byproduct of it. And so we right. track it, we work towards it. That way we can make sure that we're reporting on all the things that are impacting the business. Right. So for instance, someone on the product side might be really interested in how we are helping our members and their teams use Asana more effectively as compared to baseline customers who don't mm-hmm. take advantage of the community resources. And someone in sales might be interested in how we can help them deepen their pipeline. So mm-hmm. we we work with many different teams across the company but we have several core metrics that we're trying to drive that point towards usage or growth because this is what the company cares about. I don't mm-hmm. work in sales, I don't have a sales function. However, mm-hmm. it would be remiss of me to to not do the things that we know community can do that help with the right. bottom line. Right. So you've touched a very interesting point which I want to uh, kind of expand the most common misconception uh, about community building when it comes to in when it comes to b2b space is from founders thinking that let's build community so that we get more sales like that's like <laughs> so immediate and so straightforward which like you said is pipeline sales should be a byproduct mm-hmm. fundamentally it's about building a relationship with that other person like minded folks and help them succeed in their life and hopefully in that process like you know if they impress get impressed they'll just like use the product and whatnot and my question is uh how do you differentiate and how do you keep yourself not to not fall in that trap of hey let's do community programs to build the pipeline versus let's actually organically build community programs and hopefully like you know it'll it'll boost the pipeline in an organic way. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I I would 
argue that there's things that you can do, seeds that you can lay that help you move beyond the world of let's hope this happens. And I think it it is highly dependent on the nature of the product or the service that you are building community around. Mm -hmm. But for instance, let's just use Asana as an example. It's a team-based product. If I can equip multiple people within an account to become ambassadors, that means they get Mm -hmm. more resources, more education to help spread the word among their colleagues and their peers, there's a very high likelihood based on data, not hope, but data that shows that those people have a network effect within their organization. And we Mm -hmm. see that there's far more engagement among accounts that have ambassadors versus ones who don't. So I think it's really about one, understanding that community is not an overnight strategy. It's a long-term strategy, just Mm -hmm. like you said about building relationships. Relationships can be built with a purpose. And so I think when, when we created this program here, my team and I, we made sure that we were not just designing it so that people would have fun. We want them to have fun because that's why they come back. But the types of things that we were creating for them, the resources that they would get, the networking that they could do, were centered around how to use the product better, more effectively, mm-hmm. how to talk about it with their teams. So that's mm-hmm. where our intention really came into play, which is you know, we designed this program to bring people together with this purpose. The purpose right. is for them to use the product more and stay with us. Right. And when that happens, we know that those people's accounts grow. And we know when we invite them to our events that sales has opportunities to engage with them to deepen the pipeline. So. Mm-hmm. It has to go, in my opinion, beyond hope. It's really setting the intention for what you want the community experience to be and the intention for what you want it to drive. Rather than Mm -hmm. let's try a bunch of things and see what happens, you can do that and ferret out along the way what lands and what doesn't and where the impact you're making is and where it isn't. And I think it's also okay to start out with a hypothesis saying, you know, we, we really want the community program to help people talk about Asana or your whatever your company is. among their team. What do we need to do to equip them to do that? And that's where you go beyond hope and move into, this is an actual strategy. And here's why we think it'll matter. And you'll get some things right and some things wrong, but at least you're going into it with a hypothesis. Hmm. Yeah, you basically, uh, I think that's, that's the most, probably the realistic way to approach community building, right? Which will benefit them and us like it's kind of like a win-win situation yeah if uh, everyone has like, out of it otherwise why do it right, like right. you're asking when i think what most people miss when they're creating community programs is they forget they're asking of people's time mm. if you are asking people to be part of your community they're taking their time from something else that they could do to right. ask questions in your forum or become an ambassador or participate right. in your slack or discord or whatever right. that's their time what do they get what do they get out of being part of this program? What do they get out of those activities? So there has to be something in it for them. And because presumably you work at a company, there has to be something in it for the company. What are those things and how do you really make sure that they're tied very closely together? Right. And be very mindful about uh, what what you ask, right? Like that's so one of the things I kind of learned over the time when when I started in this space, especially in the early stage, early early days, I used to like blatantly ask people's time without even thinking. I, I was very naive and why not, right? Like I used to cross question myself, why not? I'm providing value. Why can't they give their time? Mm-hmm. But over the time, I realized that the more mindful and the less commitment you ask people, 
the more they stick to you because you're respecting them you're kind of uh again you want uh, it's not authority right it's kind of like hey let's do this t- together in a yeah. way right so i love i love that you mentioned about the you know the expectation the commitment like you know when you ask people do like have like a follow up question about the programs and the pipeline so what are some successful programs that you've launched in your career not at just at asana uh that 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 helped build relationship with the community at the same time helped boost the pipeline yeah good question so i can use asana as an example and i'll share with a couple of others as well one of the things that we created among my team is what we call the asana together world tour and this is a series of events where we go around the world literally now thankfully in person during wow. covid time it was virtual before covid it was all in person uh and so at these events we we do the community thing where we get people to talk to one another and meet each other and talk about what industries they're in and what they use asana for but we also beyond that provide them actual value uh we bring someone from our customer education and enablement team who goes into a series of in-depth workshops on how to use asana better answer their questions live and in person and get them excited about what's possible hmm. the way this drives pipeline is when sales people come along with us they're able to have conversations with customers who are there and because of the nature of our community program we often attract people to our program and to our events who are the actual practitioners that are using asana whether that's a team lead or an individual contributor the decision makers because asana is an enterprise tool are often vps or execs so mm-hmm. sales can use our events as an excuse to call down their list of customers and prospects and mm-hmm. say hey we're going to be in sydney for asana together world tour send your mm-hmm. team to these workshops and while we're there let's have a meeting let's have a lunch so they can learn more about what's happening mm-hmm. in that individual customer's accounts so it can work on multiple levels my team works really closely with another team here within marketing called revenue marketing who hosts mm. their own series of events typically for execs and decision makers and right. so oftentimes we'll host a sauna together world tour and at the end of the day we'll have a happy hour at the happy hour we'll invite everyone who attended along with decision makers and execs from key accounts and prospects so that all these different levels of customers have the opportunity to connect with one another interact talk about their success stories so it creates a really positive follow on effect and this right. is again in partnership with another team who has goals specifically around pipeline right so these are some of the ways that we do it indirectly and directly i can also think of when i was at cbs news i ran a program there called problem solvers and this was a mm-hmm. community of volunteers who were tasked with helping consumers solve their various challenges that they were running into with businesses Right. I had to motivate these people who were unpaid by the way to come <laughs> in spend multiple right. hours on a given day answering phones hearing people I mean that's real dedication from a community when they're <laughs> literally volunteering their time they have to really really care right. and this is a great way for us to connect to people in the community have them connect mm-hmm. with other folks in the community to drive ad dollars for the news program that we were on because this is a very very popular segment So right. all of these pieces can work together. The people who are in the community get something out of it. The people who are recipients of the community work get something out of it and the business gets something out of it too. Hmm. Doesn't I like that. I like it can all be together. Yeah, I like both examples and I want to also touch upon your uh CBS experience. I think you ran a show there uh for consumers. 
Uh, I want to touch about that later in the session. But so one thing you quickly mentioned the world tour. Uh, you started initially with in person, right? If mm-hmm. I'm not wrong. Yes, right. And COVID hit, so you still continued, and then you're coming back to in person. That's I'm right. I'm very curious to dive. Let's dive into the virtual way of executing such a big program. How do you number one? Like, how did you do that? How how in the hell you kind of brought people together it's really hard getting engagement attention online is way much harder than in person right uh, number one how and what are some lessons that you might share with us in when you started like you know pivoting the whole program into virtual and then now in person yeah good question i mean if i'm being honest it's it's scalable but not as much fun for everyone involved. I mean, we were doing 200 in-person events a year prior to COVID. And we, like everyone else in the world, had to pivot on a dime to adapt our format virtually. And we, I would say, got it right after many tries of doing it wrong. I think we tried to adapt our format exactly as it was in person, same duration, same format, same questions, Mm. everything the same, just virtually. That didn't work. And so I I think we had to continually evolve our strategy up until the day that we stopped doing them, basically. And that meant changes in the format, changes in the length, changes in times of day, changes in the type of interactivity we would do during our webinars Mm. in person. One of the things that sets our in-person activities apart is we have a high degree of interactivity with the audience that's there and make Mm -hmm. it feel very, very immersive. And we had to really work on how do we do that virtually. And I think we ended up finding things that worked for us. Every company is different and the types of things that will work for you will vary. But I I think for us, it was really a a long process of trial and error to see what landed with our audience and what didn't. And what was really interesting for us, given the global nature of our program, things that worked in one region just wouldn't work in another. region by region, we often had to adjust what we did and how we approached mm-hmm. the audience and the interactivity that we wanted to have with them that would work for them. And so it's honestly, it's a never ending process. We're, we're <laughs> back out on the road now doing Asana Together World Tour, and we're still changing things along the way. Because, right. you know, in, in the post pandemic world, things look a little different, people want things that are a little different. And so it's right. up to us to make sure that that's a really great experience for everyone who takes their time to attend. Right. And can you, I really like this word you used, uh, interactivity. Is that what you said, right? Yes. Can you elaborate on that whole concept? I feel it's kind of a, a strategy to engagement. Is that right? Or yeah. am I talking? We, we don't want people to feel whether they're in person or on a webinar that they're just watching a show. We want them right. to feel like there's an opportunity for them to engage with the instructor and other people in the audience. And sometimes it's as simple as, You've come to an in-person workshop. We're going to do an icebreaker where you're going to meet the people around you that you don't know. You're going to talk about, let's say that we are in San Francisco. Like You're going to talk about what's your favorite place to eat in San Francisco and where do you go after work and what did you come to this workshop to learn? It's Honestly, it's not complicated, but it makes people feel like they're part of something more than just them attending a class. Mm. And so we do that online too. We do similar sorts of icebreakers. We encourage people to ask questions, like unmute themselves and turn on your camera and ask a question of the instructor. 
I think right. for, for those of us that have been doing these sorts of like events or shows, I think of them as shows because I want them to be entertaining. Yeah. Right. I think for any of us who've been doing this for any length of time, especially during the, the all virtual all the time part, like when you're staring into a camera and there's no like dead screen behind you and everyone's right. cameras are off, it doesn't feel like anything. And so I really, right. I, me personally, I really want people who attend my events to feel something, even right. if it's for a moment. And so we would often do things like have everyone turn their cameras on, wave at the camera, and we would take a family photo. And then we would share it with everyone. So right. it, it doesn't have to be complicated or a big deal or a huge production, yeah. but it's these right. little touches that I found people mm. really, really resonate with. Mm. That's interesting. And again, that's so I like I really like the word interactivity, which is like such a you know, it's a sexy word, right? <laughs> what are th- some things that you uh you kind of suggest, especially for virtual events, because see, one of the things uh, I'm so glad that IRL events are like coming back to life. I've attended a couple and it's so energizing and like all that, but people still who want to build a global presence, you know, they can't go meet someone in Australia or in London in a week. So they heavily rely on virtual. How do you advise them to, uh, apart from the things you mentioned, the icebreakers, I feel like it's it's a well-known strategy mm-hmm. and the, the family photo thing is such a cute thing. It's fun. Apart from those, uh, what are some, uh, I, I don't want to call them as initiatives per se, but some tactics that you used that helped uh, people more engage in the virtual conversations? Well, I think the first thing when you're thinking about doing something for a global audience is there is no one global audience you will likely have to segment your audiences by time zone friendly for North America or the Americas, time zone friendly for Europe and Africa, Middle East, and time zone friendly for Asia Pacific. And if you work with Japan, you have a whole separate thing for just Japan. And so I think it's really figuring out, number one, what are the time zones that are friendly for your audience, which may mean it's totally inconvenient for you but works mm. for them. them. Don't right. assume that just because you hold something at lunchtime Pacific time or 9 a.m. Pacific that it's going to work for everyone around the world. It mm. definitely will not. And so I would think about like, what are the target markets that are really important? How do we, one, create things that are at time zones that are friendly for them? And then two, localize the content of whatever we're talking about so that it feels locally mm. and culturally relevant. So this may mean things like, talking about local customer stories. If you're talking about Australia in your example, maybe you have some from your customers who are in Australia, and maybe you invite them on your webinar or your event to talk about their experiences. People in different parts of the world will be completely unfamiliar with businesses that might be super popular wherever you're from. And so in order to make it feel like people even want to interact, one, you have to set the stage by having it at a time zone that works for them. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they're not going to show up. And two, you have to make it feel like you you understand who they are, where right. they are. So right. local customer stories, localized language. So if we're doing something in Australia, we're going to translate it into Queen's English rather than American English. So mm. it's really thinking about these details that will make people feel like, oh, this is something that gets me that I mm. want to be part of. Right. And then you can move to like, yeah. based on whatever your content is, I always right. look at, okay, well, here's the workshop content. 
and I'll work with the content creator on this, where can we insert opportunities for people to ask questions? Where can we insert opportunities for people to give their own examples rather than you know the instructor talking for an hour straight? Right. So you have to be really carefully thought through with your content so that you can think about, okay, well, we want this to not just be a show where people are watching. Where can we deliberately put pauses? Where can we look for opportunities to get questions answered or give people the opportunity to give their own examples? Got it. I, I like that. I, I think it's overall, it should be uh, a strategy where you're very thoughtful about them. And yep. it, you, it would, like you said, it's always, community is always about them and less about you, right? And once you showcase um, that over over time, I think people recognize that. People sense care in a way. I love I love the interactivity. I'm gonna steal it from you, Joshua. <laughs> take it. Like everyone listening or watching, take it. It's yeah. Think about how do I make my events come alive? Right. I mean, how many of us have attended more webinars than we can stand over the course of COVID? And we have three windows open because we're not really paying attention because it's really just them talking yeah. at the camera. Right. Don't do that. Nobody wants right. to attend that. Think about from your perspective, what would make it interesting enough for you to just have that one window open and right. pay attention and want to right. care? Because right. otherwise, if you can't think about that answer for yourself, hmm. you're dead. Like your show is dead in the water. Yeah. So yeah. you can also ask members of your community, hey, we're going to be starting this webinar series. What would you like to see on it? What would make it interesting hmm. for you? And this could be everything from time of day to duration to content to levels of interactivity. Right. You don't have to figure this all out on your own. If you have a community, you can, as it turns out, ask yeah. them what they want. They'll probably yeah. tell you. Yeah, and because it's it's for them, right? They're the they're the bosses here. They decide what they want, and we just are the messengers who deliver. You know, That's right. content or value or whatever it is. So I I really like that. Uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about. Because one of the things I read on your uh, LinkedIn profile, you're very good at partnerships. You mentioned many times, you know, in many projects you did. Talk to me about partnerships and how it impacts community uh, you build at your company. In your case, it's Asana. And generally, like, you know, how, how why should community builders take seriously about partnerships? Yeah, I think partnerships are important. One, because like you literally cannot do all the things yourself, no matter how big your community team is. And two, there are lots of perspectives that will have a useful impact on your community if only you were to include other people at your company or beyond. And so uh, because community is an externally facing program that involves people outside your company at scale, think about what the other programs at your company are that might do similar things. One mm -hmm. is partnerships. Another is like developer relations. Mm -hmm. These are often easy places to look for overlap with the community program. And so in the past here at Asana, for instance, we worked really closely with our partners program. We actually transitioned one element of our community program over to partners. We used mm -hmm. to have like a certified consultants type of group within our community program. And eventually as the partners program grew at Asana, we transitioned those people over so they could get better service about what it is that they needed. And when I was at Evernote, we created a similar program called Evernote Certified Consultants for those individuals that wanted to grow their own businesses by having Evernote as a feather in their cap. Right. And so I think there's these type of like 
partner partnerships where these people offer services. Mm -hmm. And then there's like integration partners. And often for a community, this is actually really interesting because if I'm a community member, Mm -hmm. I'm typically really interested in the product or service that the company Mm -hmm. offers. Mm -hmm. And if there are other products that integrate with it, I'd love to learn about those. And Mm -hmm. so for instance, on my team here at Asana, we run a series of webinars for our community members because this is something that is relevant globally to them mm-hmm. where we talk, we actually have someone from the integration partner, whether it's Slack or Miro mm-hmm. or whoever, mm-hmm. come on our webinar along with mm-hmm. our own development team that works on the integration to talk about it and give behind the scenes access to our community members. So mm-hmm. this is a really type of important type of partnership for us because right. this gets people excited about using Asana more it gives them direct access to have their questions answered. And it shows them examples of how they can put this to use with their own teams. Mm, so it, like it checks it. a lot of boxes, but we couldn't do it on our own. Like my team couldn't run this without the, the partnership of our partners team and our integrations team right. and our developers. And right. so exposing community members to all this behind the scenes info, it's really valuable for them because the standard customer isn't getting it. And it makes them feel like they're empowered, empowered to, to know about something, empowered to talk about it with right. their teams. And that's right. all the power of working with these other teams for, for me and my team. Right. It's always collaborate and create, right? Like the collaboration always like, you know, works uh, and it works like a magic. Uh, the follow-up question there is how do you uh, go from zero to one? in terms of building partnerships. In a way, you're kind of also building a relationship with them, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of part of uh, an indirect community where you collaborate and you help them, they help you. You know, it's like a two-way street. It's good for everyone. Any any, any suggestions you have for folks who wants to like kickstart partnerships just in general? Yeah, I would say like if you're at a company that already has some integrations or any integrations mm-hmm. at all, like those are often good places to start with the people who are building in, or companies who are building integrations with you because right. they often want exposure to mm-hmm. your customer base. And so this is a really good way to get that started is say like, hey, we'd love to host something for our community, whether it's you know a question and answer session or a brief presentation or a demo. These are really easy to spin up. Mm-hmm. And these are like the partnership companies they typically want this sort of exposure. So it's actually pretty easy to do. The other types of partnerships where it's you're building a a partnership group internally, Mm -hmm. I would say first make sure you're clear on what the goals are. If it falls very clearly outside the scope of community, that may be a different role on a different team that needs to be spun up, like an actual Mm -hmm. partnerships team that sits usually under a revenue org, but you can work really closely with them. You can share resources and content with them so that you're not each reinventing the wheel. So I think that goes back to like, what's the goal? Both of these, whether it's an integration partnership or a true partners program are based on what the goals of the business are. So I would start there and then figure out what programs you need to either create or align with. Hmm. I like that. I think it's a smart move uh, to bring the integration partners because you already did the work and you're basically exposing and it's a win for the, the partner as well as the folks like, you know, and we win. Everybody wins. I like Everyone, that. I think we I mean, might steal that from you as well. Yeah. When when I do my job well, right. everybody gets something. The mm-hmm. community members get something of value. The company, my company in this case, Asana, gets mm-hmm. something. Whether it's 
depth of usage or growth of an account. An integration partner gets exposure and usage of their integration with our tool and my team reaches our goals. So yeah. if, if when you're developing your community strategy and tactics, you can look at how does everyone get something? Mm. That's when you've got a winning strategy on your hands. I like that. I love that a lot. I think that's that's possibly the best way to describe a community manager's role. You know, when you do, do your job 100%, everybody gets a piece, right? Uh, I love that. Uh, I want to talk about your media experience before I, of course, I have some questions that aren't Evernote, but sure. uh, content and media is such a such a moving object right now, right? Like everybody's focusing on it, whether you are B2B, B2C, agency, doesn't matter. Everybody's creating content thanks to social media platforms like TikTok. And, you know, uh, there's basically it's, it's, it's to grab people's attention. Content is the right answer, right? Mm -hmm. How should founders and community builders come up with a, with a media strategy? Do you have something that in your experience you might, you know, share? I think the simplest thing to do is to build a content calendar. And the content calendar is basically the the final spot for like, here's what we're going to do and when. Mm. And usually it's not the job or shouldn't be the job of community to come up with the entirety of the content calendar. That should be in partnership right. with your marketing team's campaigns function. So for instance, right. if there are going to be certain campaigns throughout the year, let's say there's a new one every quarter, once that is all mapped out, then you can say, okay, here's the community component of what that will look like. We're mm -hmm. going to have this advertising out in the world, whether it's digital ads or billboards or whatever it is that makes sense to your company. But mm -hmm. the community piece of that is going to look like a webinar around this given topic. It's going to look like a series of in-person events and roundtables discussing this topic. Mm -hmm. That way you're anchoring everything that you're doing in the broader messages that your company is going to be putting out into the world anyway. Right. Right. That creates a really awesome amplification effect because right. if there's a campaign happening around this. There's also messaging around the same topic on social. There's also activity happening with the community. Mm -hmm. It just ties all the pieces together. And that mm -hmm. way you can share a, a core base of content and you fork it for each of the different audiences that you're using it for, whether that's community or social or wherever. So mm -hmm. I would try to get out of the business of coming up with wholly net new content that is happening mm -hmm. parallel, not in mm -hmm. conjunction with, but parallel to what's happening in the rest of your company. Mm -hmm. Again, that's where you add more valuable ties for what the community is doing into the other parts of the org. Mm. I like that. I think content calendar is such a, such an underrated tactic. Uh, I, this is not the first time I'm hearing about it. When I, when I was at Product Hunt, we used to do the same thing. So it, it basically gives a lot of clarity where you're heading and you can add pieces, brings people. That's why we used, we used to use Asana for that. Like Asana is a great place to actually build like a content calendar uh, with the dates and tagging people, collaborators and whatnot. So uh, let's talk about Evernote. I want to understand what was your role at Evernote and if you want to name a couple of projects that made you like really proud you know, as a community builder there, what would that be? Yeah, you bet. So I was brought in at Evernote to basically shepherd our education-based marketing, which mm -hmm. a portion of that is community. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got to Asana or to Evernote, rather, there was 
a handful of people who were officially community members, although we had a, an installed user base of 200 million people. So wow. since, yeah, so since Evernote is B2C, just the scale is insane. Right. And I really looked at it as my job to be like, okay, how do we give the people who are really interested something interesting to do? How do we yeah. harness their enthusiasm and how do we direct it? And so with my team's help, we created a lot of programs that were designed to do exactly that. So one of the things that we really built up was the ambassador program. And this was really for people who really wanted to not just learn how to use Evernote, but really evangelize it, whether mm. at the time especially was on their blogs or on YouTube. A lot of people were creating really great content about how to use Evernote. And so I really wanted to make sure that these people felt seen by us mm -hmm and were given the resources and tools to really talk about Evernote in the most accurate way possible. And mm -hmm. so that meant creating a lot of content for them to enable them. It meant giving them spaces to connect. And I think back to when we used to do the in-person Evernote conference, we used to have an ambassadors session. And mm -hmm. that's where like they would get to meet each other in person. They would come from all over the world. They would right. have a chance to talk about their favorite tips and tricks. They would meet people from across Evernote, the company who were building the product up to and including the CEO. And it was just a really great way to celebrate them and thank them for the great work that they were doing evangelizing Evernote out in the world. So right. that's something I'm particularly proud of because it really made an impactful difference, not just for the business, but for, for the people who were part of that community. Mm -hmm. It meant so right. much to them. Awesome. And uh, you, so everybody has a recipe for, to build an ambassador program. I think uh, we are in a point where Notions has a different set of ambassador roles. They've built successfully like a like ground grassroots level ambassador program. Uh, you know, you've done it, you've ever known, and the product did their own version. What is, if you want to like formalize, like, hey, this is how people should think about ambassador program or evangelist program, what would that look like? One, it'll vary from company to company because every company is different. And again, this should go back to what the goals are. If you just want a bunch of evangelists to talk about your program, that's going to look very different than if you want your evangelists to do a specific thing. And mm. so I think, again, you got to start with the end in mind. What are we building towards? What is the main goal that we are trying to drive? You can start grassroots, ground up. Let's just get a bunch of people and see what happens. Right. That's totally fine. It just may take you longer to get to a measurable result. So right. either way, you can do it. I just prefer to start with, you know, if I had to do this all over again, I would say, okay, what are, what are we trying to drive here? And mm -hmm. how do we best set the foundation for that now rather than waiting till later? Right. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but that's probably what I would suggest. Right. And then I think, you know, for every company, there's always people who love what you do. There may not be a lot of them at first, but find mm. those people who are already talking about your product or your service, whether it's mm. online or offline, identify those people, have your goal in mind for what you're trying to achieve, and then talk to those people and say, hey, we're, we're trying to build a program mm. that'll do this. What would you like to see in it? What would make it valuable for you? What would make you want to take your time to participate? And what would participation look like? What activities right. would you like to see there? What, what would make it interesting for you? And you can put these pieces together into a program. I think right. it makes more sense if you're creating a program for a group of people that you yourself have not been part of. Mm. 
to ask them what it is yeah. that they want <laughs> rather than try to just invent it from whole cloth. They'll tell you. Right. Yeah. Mostly, most people, they react, right? Like, because I think the, the filter there is people who you already are talking to folks who are into you. So you don't have to sell anything. So that's right. You, they're already bought in. You just need to like extract uh, the right information so that you go in the right direction. You also, uh, Evernote is such a, it's a B2, B2C, you know, the vibe is different from Asana, which is a B2B. This is a very uh, specific question I want to ask, which is what's one thing that you learned from Evernote that you're implementing at Asana and vice versa? Like what is something that you learned from Asana that you might like, you know, use for a B? Basically like, what is something you learned from a B2C company building a community there and using it a B2B and, you know, vice versa, B2B company lessons applying to B2C company? Yeah, that's, those are two really good questions. The, the first one is B2C is awesome because people are often motivated <laughs> by fun. And it's, right. it's very easy to drive. I really like, I really like the way you started. B2C is awesome. <laughs> that's like consumer... Consumer applications are so always sexy, right? Like they just easy. They just look sexy and you you kind of like take pride in them using them, right? Go ahead. Didn't mean yeah. to stop you. It I, I I I don't I shouldn't frame it as easy. It's easier because people are excited right. and, and it's their choice to use a, a B2C tool. An individual right. tool, it's up to them. They've chosen it, they're excited mm-hmm. about it. B2B is different. Sometimes people didn't choose the tool. They've been handed it to them. And so Mm -hmm. the motivations, the intent is often different. However, you can infuse B2B communities with a B2C feel. Mm -hmm. If you remember that at the end of the day, everyone participating is still an individual. It's still a person. And, you know, I, I work at a B2B company, although the logo, the entity of the customer is a concept, the person who's joining my community is still an individual. That mm. person still wants to right. feel motivated. They still want right. to be seen and valued. They still want to be educated and they still want to have fun. Right. If you can figure out how to map that sense of enjoyment to, from B to C and apply that to B to B, you've got right. something amazing on your hands. And so whether that's fun brand elements that you can lean into or a brand version that you can create just for your community or just activities that you do that are enjoyable, Pulling that B2C thread into the world of B2B is really, really important. Otherwise, you've got something pretty dull on your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- the thing that I learned from B2B that I would apply to B2C is the importance of data and being data-driven and using metrics mm-hmm. in your work to drive your decisions. I've been extremely fortunate at Asana. I've had far more data resources, like an analyst, uh, mm-hmm. to help me with my work and build dashboards for me that I simply didn't have at the time that I was at Evernote. Again, community was so nascent as a concept when I was at Evernote. A lot of these things, concepts, just really didn't exist in the same way beyond community forums. Right. And to me, community forums is one aspect of community, but not the whole thing. Right. And so now I just have a much more robust data set that I can use mm-hmm. to make decisions and see how things are going see the impact of the work in ways that I just couldn't before. And as community builders, this is the direction that things are going for us. We're going to be continually asked, as with most of the rest of the business that we're part of, to use data to inform what we do. This is the time to get really comfortable with it. 
make sure you understand it, understand how what you do drives business results so that you can speak with authority to the impact of your work. Don't be afraid of data. It's not there to hurt you. It's only there to help you. Yeah. I have like that. Those are really two good, great answers right there. Let's briefly want to touch about data because you also mentioned about this in, in, in this conversation. Uh, not many people are get excited about data. They sometimes take it more tedious, right? But it's so important because data is truth. You know, at the end of the day, you have to live by the truth and reality, right? What are some suggestions you have uh, for community builders to tune their mind more data-driven? Is there a, is there some, you know, uh, again, some frameworks that you use or some key points that people should like uh, focus on when it comes to data? Yeah, I'll say this in our last couple of minutes. I think it's really important for you to not be afraid. And if that means getting to know an analyst at your work or a data scientist at your work a little bit better, I don't think any community builder needs to become an expert on data analytics and become a data scientist on their own, but you need to understand what's going on under the hood of your program. And so if that means finding a friend in the data analytics team or in the marketing metrics team or wherever that sits within your org, and just be curious to say like, hey, I want to better understand what's going on with my program. Do you think you could take some time and just explain things to me so that I can make better decisions? I think by and large, you're going to have a really positive response to that because it's showing that you care about what's going on with your program and not just the tactics and the activities, but the result. And right. so if I were to start with a framework, I would look at, okay, what are a couple metrics that I can see that show me the health of my program, whether it's mm. number of new members or number of events and attendees. And then mm. I would start with a couple of metrics that show business impact for the mm. attendees at my events. What's the change in their usage of the product or mm. how much more are they using our service or how much more are they spending? The things that, you know, right. someone else in the business will right. care about. Awesome. Where you know you have is if you are constantly finding yourself in the position of having to explain the impact of your work in language that people at the rest of your company don't understand. Right. That, that's an indication that you need to shift your mindset around mm. data. Absolutely. That's that's the signal and the filter. I, I know we're we're almost you know ending our time, but I do have like one last question if you have like a few more minutes to spare. Uh, it looks like you know most of your experience you're you've built customer-centric community, right? Like people who use the product, they you attract them through workshops, value, content programs and whatnot any tips on uh for community builders who are building customer-centric communities the simplest thing and this may be an oversimplification but i think it's the most important is listen to your customers get the mm -hmm. goals from your execs or decision makers or stakeholders but then listen to your customers they're going to tell you what would resonate with them they're going to tell you what programs they want that would be of value to them Right. You can come up with a strategy, a framework, you can present it to them and say, here's what we're thinking, but listen to them. They're going to be able to say with certainty what's going to resonate and what isn't. That will save you so much time as you develop. <laughs> awesome. Joshua, this has been so great. I I've learned so much. You know, I, I took so much notes for myself and I'm sure like people, you know, uh, scribble notes as well when they listen to the episode. Uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap up the episode? I would just say thank you for hosting anyone who's out there that has you know thoughts or questions about community building. I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn. There's not too many Joshua Zirkles out there, so it's very easy to find <laughs> me. Uh, yeah. And I think we are at the the really the beginning 
of a very interesting and exciting stage in the growth of community building, community management as a strategic lever within business. And I encourage everyone who's out there to dig in. We've got some really exciting stuff ahead of us. Awesome. That's yeah. Everybody should do it. Like you know, with an intention, with a purpose, though. That's right. Uh, again, Joshua, thanks again. Uh, and folks who are listening, this is yet another great episode. I'm I'm excited and stay tuned for more of uh, awesome guests we're inviting to the podcast. Uh, but thanks for your attention and thanks for tuning in. See you for another episode.